You just heard overreaction from Voivod from the Killing Technology record. Uh, this is the Recommendal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And we would like to thank our uh, executive producer this week, uh, once again, uh, Jill Hundy, uh, who some of you uh, uh, know is a, a relative of ours <laughs> here, uh, is one of our executive producers uh, for the show. So we really appreciate it. And in addition to that, we should mention before we get really into our, our, our very special guest here in a moment, that we're having a, uh, a giveaway as well. The Thursday and Friday passes for the Maryland Death Fest. These were donated by a listener, not by the organization. I wanted to put that out there. Yep. Uh, and uh, basically, all I'm, or all we're asking from you is if you can put some kind of link to the show uh, on your blog. You know, tell a friend about it. Have some kind of evidence. You can email us back at requiempodcast at gmail We'll uh, do, use the random number generator. First person, you know, pops up. You get two free tickets. Sure. So yeah, and uh, and let us know. Maybe if you only, maybe you only need a Thursday ticket. You know, let us know that, and then maybe we'll random generate two numbers, and we can have. And if you scalp winners. them at the door or something, give us ten bucks. <laughs> yeah, buy us exactly. a beer. Buy us a beer. Yeah. And I know that uh, you putting that out there uh, in advertising the show will be very beneficial to our guest tonight. Uh, we'd like to welcome Mr. Jeff Wagner. How's it going, Jeff? Oh, hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And uh, Jeff, tell us why you're here. Why? Why in the world? Why in the world did we uh, ask why you to be on this podcast? Yeah, I don't know because I'm looking at these photos and I'm thinking these are some great tunes. I really want to check this out. No, I, you know, I, I wrote a book, uh, Mean Deviation. I guess it probably qualifies as the first book on progressive metal. And um, there's a lot to talk about there because I don't really consider progressive metal one sound and one style like I think many do. And it was my opportunity to kind of dig into it and show, you know, exactly what I think this vast world is kind of all about. So that's what, why I'm here to so talk what, about it. What's, to, to, what's your, your metal background, I guess, for people who maybe don't know where you fit into this? Because you've been around the scene for, for a long time and been an integral journalist and, and things, just as Mark and I have kind of floated around in the scene for a little bit as well. Right, well, as you guys know, you know, you become a fan first, and I've, you know, I'm a long time fan. I, I hate to date myself, but I was, you know, I was buying Voivod records and, and Battery records and Metallica records when they were brand new in the store. I'm, you know, in the '80s, so it's like, you know, I've been a long time fan, and I've, I've followed all kinds of different, not only metal but you know, music, rock music and stuff. So, you know, as you know, the, the more involved you get into it, you know, you you end up becoming a, a contributor to a zine, and then you end up you know, uh, maybe hosting a college radio show like I did for a while in Iowa City. And, you know, one thing leads to another, and you just get more and more involved where you take it to the level of involvement that you that you want to. And uh, I just became kind of a, kind of a paid fan in, in some ways. You know, I've been <laughs> making a living on this in some way or another since 1994. So, you know, why not, why not keep doing that? So, um, so, you know, I've worked for record labels, Relapse, Century Media, The End Records, um, I was an editor, co-editor at Metal Maniacs magazine for about five years. I had my own zine for a time in the early 90s. You know, so I've kind of had my hands in sort of different sort of, you know, positions and, and done some different things. So um, finally led to, to writing this book. And I think that that's, that's something ultimately that uh, was always a goal of mine, I think. And what, what kind of prompted you to, I guess, look in at the progressive metal genre over, say, other genres that are floating out there, just the fact that maybe no one had looked at it yet, or is it kind of near, more near and dear to your heart than other, say, extreme? Uh, that's, it, it's, it's both that. It's both that um, this, this kind of book hadn't been written yet, whereas the book on Swedish death metal uh, has already been written, and you know that's a book I would have liked to maybe have done. Um, you know, the, the book on death metal has been done. Uh, there have been countless books on 
other bands that I might have liked to write about, um, but this hadn't been done. And a lot of it is near and dear to my heart. I mean, like, I, you know, I think the one constant of my listening in metal uh, has been sort of gravitating toward these innovators and these, you know, weird kind of bands and these bands that push forward and, and are, you know, radicals in the genre. Because I, you know, contrary to, I would think, what some other people might think, I, metal is largely conservative, um, or at least it is in a lot of ways, and a lot of bands toe that kind of conservative line. Um, and I've always been more interested in the bands that are going to surprise me every album, even if it comes with a disappointment. You know, I'm, I'm just, I, I always want to be eager to hear that next album to see where this, you know, this band is going to go. Um, sure, absolutely. So yeah. that's, yeah, it is near and dear to my heart. It's something that, you know, um, the bulk of my metal listening is, has always had all these kind of weird progressive bands within it. So, And I like how you kind of set that up in the book and your kind of introduction where you were talking about Angel Rat from Voyavod a little bit and, and how, you know, even if on initial listen it was maybe disappointing is the wrong word, but but just utterly challenging for you to figure out, you were sort of up for the challenge, whereas you said a lot of your friends who tended to be more in that conservative realm just couldn't go there and just wanted it to be nothing face part two and and so yeah. that's kind of that energy that you've taken as your sort of uh your modus operandi for your, your metal listening career you know yeah very very much and you, i mean you said it all right there there's nothing more i can add to that other than the fact that uh, you know these friends who were listening to voivod and had followed them up to nothing face i thought it was really interesting that they would be so shocked uh well i was shocked with angel rap too but i I was attracted as well. They were repulsed. And it was like, you know, th- this is a band that's constantly changed. I mean, you know, when Killing Technology came out, it was just so advanced from Roar. And when Dimension Hatros came out, it was so advanced beyond anything Killing Technology had promised. And they kept doing that. And so to me, Angel Rat was just that next step. It might have been not only the next step, uh, but a kind of extreme left turn. But yeah. it- it's still very boy bod. And I think time has... Uh, you know, I'll I'll stop talking about Angel Rat now because you guys, you know, stop me because I, you know, this album. <laughs> I mean, I can go forever. I could write a book on Angel Rat, but gotcha. uh, maybe I will one day uh, sure. to all the five people out there that would be interested. But, um, but really, you know, uh, that album, you know, has you know shown to ha- have a bit of bit more life uh, over time. Like I've, I've talked to so many Voivod fans, are like, you know what? And this is like 15, 20 years after the album came out. Like, you know what? I really get that album now. Like, I understand it. Or maybe they're just more ready in, in what they accept as a listener uh, to, 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 to sort of embrace that album that they weren't ready when they were like 20 years old. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Um, it, it, that album is kind of caught up to people or they've caught up to it. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that, fascinating album in that sense. You'll find you'll find that I mean I think a lot of times that happens and you go back and revisit things. You know, Mark and I are constantly yeah, talking about that yeah. on the show where something missed us the first time or, or we just weren't in a mature place to be able to understand where something sort of fits sometimes. And I mean I think that's really the you know the the whole idea of progressive metal in a sense or if uh, of this term which is such a big term. You know, I wonder if we should. I mean, it's it's addressed pretty well in the book, but just so people are not. Because I think it's kind of a divisive term. You know, if you hear prog metal, sometimes people are just automatically close the door on it. I wonder mm-hmm. if, uh, what's, in, in the context of your book, Jeff, what would you consider progressive metal? What does that kind of, that, that term mean to you? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you, you, you can just take out any band that sounds exactly like Dream Theater or very close <laughs> to it. That's not, that's not a diss on Dream Theater. No, I'm no, not, I, I'm, 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 I'm not you. a Dream Theater hater, but you, you understand, like, you know, when I went into this book, it was like, you know, my 
wow, my, my vision of prog metal is so different than the people that, that follow Dream Theater and the bands that are very similar to that. There's that whole strain, you know, of, of what's considered prog metal. I think when you say prog metal, people think of these kind of bands, um, whether you want to name drop Symphony X or Evergrey or whatever it might be. Um, and, and for me, like, if you sound like any band, you're, you're not being progressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really more uh, of, a, of a staunchly individualistic sort of stance uh, that you're taking with the, the genre that you're playing, uh, this one, of course, being metal, that that's kind of separates you from the rest of the pack who are just sort of like following a certain style, you know? Um, so when you say progressive metal, it doesn't mean one thing. So it's hard to answer your question um, in a short soundbite. And I think that's why it took me like 350 pages yeah. to, <laughs> to write about it. No, really, you know, yeah. uh, because it, it, it is dream theater. It is fate's warning. It is Queens, right? But it's also, um, mayhem's grand declaration of war. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not a progressive band per se, but certainly that album was, you know, game changing or, uh, a serious left turn, very brave, very innovative. And I think that makes it progressive. Um, you know, Death Spell Omega are progressive. They're, they're, they're twisting metal into some bizarre shapes that have never been heard before. And I think, you know, the quality of what they're doing makes them a progressive band. Um, so, and then you've got tons of stuff in between those poles. And, sure. and uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's not a sound. It's not a, a genre, per se. It's really uh, a mindset and sort of an approach and an ap- application of a variety of, you know, influences into metal. So it's really, it, it, it is anything goes. You yeah, know? yeah. Doesn't like mean it. it's great. Doesn't mean it's great. Like, not, not, you know, not every band that throws the kitchen sink into their music is going to be great. But, no, you yeah. know. It, it, it's a lot of things. Sure, I mean it's like it's like art, you know. I mean there's safe art and there's there's you know kind of challenging art in terms of like maybe painting or illustrations or things like that. And sometimes just doing something wild and crazy doesn't really bring value, you know. But sometimes it does. You know? Yeah, so it's but it's a lot a- more interesting. You know, it's funny because I just went with a, a friend of mine who is a, sort of a watercolor painter. He's kind of just getting into that, so he's kind of right now stuck on doing the landscape thing that you've seen a million times. Yep. And he's really good at it. But it's like we went to this gallery um, for some reason last Saturday, and all these paintings were of just, I guess, I don't know if you call it realism or naturalism, but um, you're looking at, at paintings of things that you can look out the window <laughs> of the gallery that we're in and see. Um, and I don't find that interesting. So I guess, I guess if I was in a gallery of like all this avant-garde art, it may not be, it may not be all great or, you know, evoke a response in you, but it is very interesting no, no matter what. And I think I look at Prague not all the same way, yeah. you know, it may not all be great, but it's certainly, I think I'm just fascinated by seeing, you know, who's doing what with the form. Um, that's just a little bit different, a little bit left of center. Yeah. And I guess for, for between the two of us here, you know, I guess I've always been more coming out of a, a, a higher interest in progressive metal, I think, than Mark, where Mark's coming often from, um, I guess, you're more of a kind of tour, kind of sewer of like kind of the stripped down... Um, not to say that you hate, you know, or don't no, no, dislike well, it. But no, but I think the the definition that Jeff threw out for progressive metal is not necessarily what I always thought of progressive metal. Yeah. Because if you're saying progressive metal in those terms that you just mentioned, that makes sense to me. Those are the kind of bands I enjoy. But I'm thinking of extreme technicality, almost a musicianship over composition kind sure. of vibe. Mm-hmm. That's what I typically thought of as uh, as progressive metal until 
this Mean Deviation book actually changed my outlook a little bit, so I think everybody should go out and pick it up. Yeah, there you uh, go. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to say that, not just to sell a book, but, to, but, but because I've had other people say that, and I had a, a good friend um, tell me that, uh, you know, this kind of, he, he thought this was a line in the sand, and this really kind of does change the, the definition of progressive metal. And, and, uh, and I'm glad for that, because it can be super technical. It can be super performance-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, some of these bands, I think, are great. Some of them, they're definitely wanking, and that's all they're doing. And yeah. it, so... In the book somewhere, especially chapter 13, the, the very divisive chapter, is um, it basically says, look, you know, a lot of these great progressive metal bands are excellent players, but you don't need to be. I mean, look at, look, look at Celtic Frost yep, within exactly. the Pandemonium. Um, that, was by, that was by far, that's, that remains one of the most progressive metal albums of all time, always will be. You can call it avant-garde, too. I mean, to me, avant-garde and progressive are somewhat interchangeable. Yeah. But um, they weren't great players. You know, but they, but their imagination was amazing. Their imagination was so much vaster than a lot of these sort of what Mark was saying, these performance-oriented bands. And yeah. uh, I think I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. And and so I guess for me, when my entryway into like this type of music was kind of through the guys in like early high school, like through the Pink Floyds and then the King Crimson, mm. and then sort of discovering the Opeths and the Porcupine Trees because I'm a couple of years younger than Mark and, and a few years younger than you. And then through Porcupine Tree, Opeth kind of stuff, I went into Camel and, and Cressida and, and some of that kind of stuff. Right on. Um, yeah. You know, and I mean, I had heard Atheist and Cynic early on, and that was very eye-opening. But for me, I think in my early or later high school period, I think Opeth and Arcturus were, were like the key two bands. And I was telling Mark before this, I think one of the reasons I gravitated towards this stuff a little bit more was because I was one of those kids in high school who was always trying to like validate my love for heavy metal to naysayers. Yeah, I, you know? I, I'm with you. Yeah. And and this was like the, the shiny examples I could sort of throw out to people and say, look, you think metal is Pantera. Well, here's this. This is like different than what your definition of metal might be. And I really liked the, the reaction that I was able to get out of people. And, um, you know, I've always kind of been that provocateur in, in a way, whereas Mark is more of the punk rock, fuck you, I don't care kind of <laughs> yeah, attitude. The traditionalist. Hey, you know, there's room for being the traditionalist. And I like a lot of traditional bands. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and it, it, I, had a, I had a reader give me the, one of the most amazing sort of just private reviews. He didn't post it anywhere. I think he, well, he might have had a blog. Uh, but he, he, he posted it and, and sent it to me. And, and um, you know, it was, it was an incredible review, very thoughtful. But one of the things he kind of was saying in it was like, why didn't you really push the, the idea that this is metal sort of growing up and this is, this is uh, very mature metal? Like, I didn't, I didn't come out and say black and white, you know, very definitively, like, you know, metal is about more than just, you know, skulls and, and babes and fire, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no. <laughs> but I don't think I needed to because I think, I think the whole of the book speaks for itself in that, in that manner, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've had I have neighbors here in the country. Uh, they're in their seventies, and the the um, the wife uh, of the of the couple, especially, is really open minded. She's an NPR listener, that kind of stuff, very liberal. And um, she she was interested in metal a couple of years ago and asked me about it. And I was just starting to write the book, so I told her like, look, you know, just wait for the book. And in the meantime, I I recorded her some music, and and it blew her mind how vast and interesting and colorful and um artistic metal could be she just had that vision you know um like jason is saying about metal just being kind of this horrible thing that that you know he felt the need to validate and yeah, the, um, yeah like the the heavy metal parking lot 
Yes, like that's, little, ex- that's exactly, exactly, and 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 uh, you know, I was able to at least change her mind about it, and and she's in her seventies, and that was that was really. Um, it was a really nice feeling. Sure. That's, um, yeah, that's fantastic. That's the, kind of a rare occurrence, though. It is. And, <laughs> and I've always argued with people, too, you know, because Mark and I, you know, worked at a record store for years with, with people that, um, you know, the, the manager of the store plays in a very, uh, I guess, progressive would be the right sort of way, progressive jazz, you know, improvisation, 60s free mm-hmm. jazz kind of stuff, a lot of Sun Ra influence and Coltrane, all that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. we kind of were in that realm, and in a lot of these bands, the Opeths and Arcturuses and, and things in Slaves, Catatonias, Catatonias, and the bands like that were the bands that he would glob onto and kind of he would you could tell he would like it would pique his interest because it would challenge what his ideas of metal were prior to us working there and so that was always again like him validating that was like important to us because his opinion mattered so much because he understood you know rock and roll the whole history of it oh, then, and then, that, the hearing know. that stuff and then like well maybe you guys should check out can or faust or you know yeah. pulling out all this kind of stuff, yeah. steam hammer yep. yeah yeah there's, 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 there's a lot of appeal i think um to metalheads for that older prog rock that really like that was really changing uh you know the musical modes of the time and and, um, I, and vice versa I think there's some progressive rock heads some older guys uh, starting to discover some of the more adventurous metal that's out there and I think that's a really important thing that's happening and that's also something I try to uh, underscore throughout the book mm-hmm. is that relationship between progressive rock or experimental rock and uh, and metal and why the attractions exist and you know and go both ways it's it's um, I, I find that kind of interesting as well um, you know, I mean, how many how many Camel albums has Michael Okerfeld helped sell? Yeah, you know, no uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, and lots of metalheads have gotten into Camel because of him, sure. and uh, you know, King Crimson's one of the first non-metal bands that metalheads tend to latch onto because of their abrasiveness and their darkness and their and their, mm-hmm. you know. Well, even the way like uh, Lee Doreen would talk about Mellow Candle, you know, yeah. I went out and got the whole discography that I could find. At right. that point, purely based on his recommendation. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Sure. 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 And you hear threads of these older bands and these newer bands, and it's 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 pretty exciting. So it, it opens up a whole new world. So. Um, and there's that great story that Steve Wilson tells, you know, in the in the forward about oh, yeah. getting still life. You know, and I'm, yeah, that, that was such a when Morning Rise came out, or when it, we heard it was coming out, and we found out Steve Wilson was going to be part of that. That was like. For me, that was like two completely different worlds about to collide, and suddenly my friends that I had gotten into Porcupine Tree, I could like <laughs> move them like cattle towards like extreme metal and kind of be like, see, see, look, look, somebody else gets it, you know. And uh, that was a big game changer for a lot of a lot of people in my realm who were in either the metal camp or the more you know softer camps, if you will, you know. Yeah, 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 and Wilson sits sort of in the intersection of prog and metal, and that's the reason I approached him to, to write the forward, because it would, it would be too obvious to have somebody like, um, you know, Portnoy or, or Michael from Opeth do it, Yeah, but he, he kind of, like, sort of bridges those worlds, so... Um, yeah, he's a, so yeah, he's a validator, they, they, you know, too. And seeing so, it sure. actually come into his sure. music as well, which you don't necessarily see quite as much in the more metal stuff going into Porcupine Tree. Right yeah, now. which is cool. Uh, and and to- totally. Their early stuff was totally devoid of metal, and you can tell at what point he started to listen to Tool or Meshuggah or whatever. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's kind of cool. It's been it's it's been a cool thing for for that band as well. I think sometimes they Porcupine Tree hasn't been totally successful in integrating metal, but I think by now that they're, they're you know he's. He's become a master at that. I, you know. Yeah, and I think they're kind of been adopted by a lot of the metal community, and then vice versa. You know, with some of the metal stuff being adopted by Porcupine Tree fans, and and that's that's always good for everybody. They're kind of like the the anti anathema. Like they actually, you know, they 
picked up this whole, whole different crowd. Yeah. And that's when right. struggling right. to try to shed the metal and then just yeah. go you know, <laughs> on with, with uh, the post-rock or whatever they're doing now. Or whatever they want to be called, but yeah. they're always stuck in sure. that thing. Now, for you, before we dive kind of back to the beginning with Voivod and then some of the music we're going to play, was there, was there like a band or, or something that kind of affected you and, and pushed you towards this type of music? You know, like for me, it would be like, say, the Opeth or Arcturus, you know. But did you have a for, band? You that, mean prog metal in general? Sort yeah, of or just, or metal. just yeah. Um, Not really. I, I remember having, you know, a fascination with uh, Rush and especially moving pictures back when I was like 12. Uh, and that remains my favorite album, not just for nostalgia's sake, but I just think it's a perfect album. And um, it's my favorite. It's the, de- mm-hmm. the the Desert Island album. But then I, you know, then I discovered like harsher, heavier metal and got into that and kind of, you know, put Rush to the side for a while. Um, and no, it really wasn't. I mean, you know, I think from the '80s, Voivod and Fates Warning are probably the two uh, biggest for me that that. Uh, you know, are constantly evolving. They're making great leaps every album, and those are the most exciting in that in the, in the more progressive realm gotcha. for me. So I guess those two I, I hold up. Well, it's funny you should say that because the band we just heard, Voivod, uh, kind of seems to be in, in you know I guess in Mark and I's uh, opinion. Uh, one of the two bands alongside Celtic Frost that kind of seems to be the impetus for, I guess, progressive extreme metal. Would you, sure. you know, I mean, what what made them so special? I guess Voivod in the Canadian scene. Well, I agree with what you're saying first about Celtic Frost and Voivod. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to just those two bands for that very reason. So yeah. you're mm-hmm. very much on the same page as I am there. Uh, what makes Voivod special? Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's. I don't think it's one particular album. I think it's that span of like, if you look at everything from War, War and Pain to Outer Limits, that that seven album span. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. Like you know, every single album is different. Um, you could tell these guys started just you know, hardly knowing how to play their instruments and. In, on their earliest recordings to um, just obviously pushing themselves very, very, very hard with each record, not only in terms of playing, but in terms of, you know, growing that, that concept of, of Voivod and um, how imaginative they were. I mean, it was, it was a complete world. They not only gave you music, but each guy had his own sort of character and his name, kind of like the way Kiss did, you know. Yeah, did. yeah. Um, and also... Um, you know, away doing the cover art. He, you know, he he would take the Voivod character into new worlds with every album cover. So, I mean, they were just this complete package. And um, you know, they were the first band I heard name drop bands like Pink Floyd, who I, to me at the time in the '80s were just that band that does money on the radio. And yeah, I didn't like learning it, you know? to fly or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it was just it was like I didn't I didn't quite understand the depth and greatness of Pink Floyd at that time. But they were the first one to make me think about it, and they were the first one to throw up you know odd names like Faust. And, and Khan and Vandergraaf Generator, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in interviews, and that, that was always very intriguing. So, um, obviously, very eclectic listeners, and uh, they they pushed their metal about as far as it could go, and uh, you have to appreciate appreciate them for that. And they're a band like for Mark and I. Um, I mean, I kind of was a little bit into Voivod back in the day with Dimension Hatros and Nothing Face, but like then I kind of put that stuff aside. I can never. I think I came into it. A little too late, you know, in the early '90s when they had kind of already kind of come to their, you know, like you said, the the end of that seven album cycle, you know, almost right. that way. And I didn't really have anyone else around me that was like really into Voivod. And I know for Mark, you you heard some of their '90s stuff, and it didn't really grab you because it was no, and it already was, so odd at that. Yeah, point. because I was so entrenched in that death metal thing and just wanting to explore that genre at that point. Like vocally, it was weird. The you know the just kind of dissonant guitars weren't really doing anything for me at the time. I wanted like crunch. And now going yeah. back and listening to this stuff, I'm like, why the hell did I never 
pick up a record the entire yeah. thing. It like you know, it, goes, it spans like from almost like hardcore punk to. I mean, they never sounded like anybody. No, but those no. first early no. records are dirty and tons of energy to them, and like I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even even those, like you know, I mean, yes, they were. You could. I think it was easier to spot their influences maybe on War and Pain. You could tell they were into like Venom maybe, but yeah. yeah. Piggy had, as we were talking about Chris Reifert's drumming earlier, uh, well, pre-interview, so yeah, pre-interview. nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about, but <laughs> we were talking you know, about Chris Reifert being so a rocking drummer, yeah. uh, Piggy was a rocking player, so on, on War and Pain you had, you know, he was miles ahead and beyond like Mantis from Venom, even though Absolutely. <laughs> they were trying to be Venom at that point, like he was just throwing out these riffs that were just like, you know, he's using all six strings, and you know, his leads had this rock inflection to them, so, you know, right from the beginning they were different, and sure. uh, they just kept, be- <laughs> they just got more and more and more different, so. And the, and the song we picked overreaction or that you picked was actually one of the songs that mark and i played when we did our our four-part canadian metal history uh podcast a a couple months back so uh, it was one of the voivod songs we picked yeah it's hard to pick a song i think that's just a quintessential song from from that very first point where voivod started to really jump into the beyond i think sure um but you know you could pick any track off killing technology and it would work i mean i forgotten in space was on that playlist er, early on but i you know uh space considerations i chose a slightly shorter song gotcha yeah thank you yeah that's that's the tough part with Prague. you know sometimes you could run into some uh some some time limitations for sure but yeah i told i told mark like if you tell me 40 minutes i could easily do two songs and we'd be out you know (laughs) you just play edge of sandy crimson you know and be done edge of sandy crimson yeah easy in and out in and out right 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 mark and i've thought talked about maybe doing an edge of sandy crimson show and just like kind of pausing it in the middle and talking about some things maybe yeah but i don't know if that would like bug people you know like it's almost interrupting something that shouldn't be in Interrupt it, you know. But well, yeah, but you're, you know, you're, you're sort of taking it apart. You're sort of a mechanic looking at the engine, you know, yeah. taking it apart, you know. Director's commentary, if you commentary. will. That's so. how we can do this stuff yeah. because it's commentary. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, now, I guess we're about to jump into our next set of music, and you know, two of the bands I guess that are coming up in this next set really became the face, I, I would say, of phase two of extreme metal progressiveness, which is Death and Atheist. You know, I yeah. guess what do they bring to the table? You know that maybe the baton being passed from Voivod and, and Celtic Frost to these guys. Yeah, the, I mean, Death and Atheist and you know Cynic and all these kind of bands that I call tech metal in the book. And tech metal is just you know a way to separate some of these progressive bands, and, and uh, they just brought this really sharper technicality into their music. Um, they were extreme. They began as you know kind of these primitive death metal bands. Certainly, early death is it doesn't get much more primitive than yeah, that. No. <laughs> uh, and again, just kind of you know Chuck exploring his instrument and just kind of you know growing in leaps and bounds as a musician um, over time and uh you know become becoming interested in you know maybe expressing himself outside of the horror genre you know yeah. um so they, they just became this kind of intellectual band and that's uh that's kind of what marks the whole tech metal thing is this um this focus on on um really challenging yourselves and doing some some different some drastically different things um yeah so Cool. Yeah, and uh, where's Death Row fit into all this? They're a band. I, well, I Death, Row, yeah, Death Row came out of the, that German thrash scene of the '80s that hopefully okay. we all know and love. And um, they, you know, the first two albums are fairly pedestrian in, in that whole realm. And then the third album came out, and this is what makes a progressive band for me is like when they when they start sort of in a basic mold, and then they at some point either take a really great leap or they gradually 
go somewhere very strange from where they began. Um, and Death Row's third album, Deception Ignored, uh, was weird and technical and obviously influenced by Watchtower. Yep. Um, you know, it was like Creator playing a Watchtower cover. And you got, <laughs> you got Death Row's third album, and it's, it's a really interesting sound. So. That's funny. I wrote down, because no knowledge really of the band, I said, I get some Testament and Watchtower vibes. You know, that was like, those were like yeah. the two bands that really like informed me. The Skolniak kind of solo type playing and then some of the Watchtower yep. vocals. And I do hear some Voivod and Death Row. Yeah. Um, yeah. But cool. All right. Well, let's get to some music. We've got uh, from that Death Row uh, Deception Ignored album from 1988. We have Machinery. Then we have Individual Thought Patterns uh, from Death with Overactive Imagination from 93. And then from that same Watershed year of 93, which we'll talk about in the next set, uh, we have Atheist with Mineral from the Elements record.
You just heard Mineral from Atheist, Overactive Imagination from Death, and Machinery from Death Row. And uh, once again, of course, we're joined with Jeff, Mr. Wagner. So why those tracks, I guess, uh, you know, from Atheist and Death and those records in particular? Um, yeah, I mean, Death, Death was, you know, Individual Thought Patterns was one record on from Human, and I think Human was the big sort of sea change for Death, you know, bringing in uh, these, you know, really literate musicians and, um, you know, the, which who had, you know, the guys from Cynic had, you know, considerable jazz influence, but then you get into individual thought patterns, and it was just you know just a little more refined version of human. I think um, you know Gene Hoglan playing drums that I don't think anybody who had listened to Dark Angel previously thought he could do. You know, mm-hmm. and it's, he's he just really um, he did the Sean Reiner thing pretty well in that album. Um, and Steve Giorgio on bass, you could finally hear him on bass because yeah. Human is notoriously bassless and, until this new reissue that's coming out. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's you know it's, it's death at its most refined and it's most technical, so it, it fits there. Uh, and with Atheist, you know the Elements album is a little less intense than Unquestionable Presence, and I probably prefer Unquestionable, but I think uh, the mineral track from Elements is. Um, probably atheist that they're kind of progressive and, and experimental apex. So, um, and, and they both come from 1993, which is a sort of a key, uh, year. And, and, uh, I devote basically a chapter of the book to that I was year. Say, that's kind of, of the, the watershed year, you know, in the, the book. year I graduated high school. Ah. <laughs> well, there you go. The year I, I entered it. high school. Ah. It's a cross generational year. year for all of us. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, you know, it was just all these bands that were, you know, sublimating at, at you know at their highest point and and just doing these things and uh you just had that you just had this huge sort of handful of albums that were coming out that year or on either side of the year there's some from 92 and 94 as well in there but um it was just this year where just technical adventurous progressive extreme metal um really kind of hit a certain peak why do you think and that all- is i mean do you think it's just happenstance or uh you know there's a quote from i hate to keep referencing oh, hey. the book but really that's, that's why we really, got you <laughs> yeah. yeah well that, yeah there's a um there's a quote from hunter ginn um the drummer for a newer band called canvas solaris and um i think he sums it up really well at the, at the intro of that chapter um and uh I, I could i could try to find it and read it i just think that's the best answer to your question oh okay um, uh, well you know if you uh yeah if you want to do you have the book chilling with you yeah, I, I do. Um, or, give me a or Mark, I... Mark's looking through it too. You know, I guess for me, you know, the '93 year. This is like my, when I kind of became aware of death metal on a, on a profound level, and then ran into Unquestionable Presence on tape and Cynic Focus and things like that. And so, I don't know. Like it, it opened up my ear waves uh, a little bit more in terms of being aware that metal was something more than just what you saw in Headbangers Ball. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was there was a point of of, uh, of sublimation and in ninety three. I think that was that was a year that a lot of artistic metal was being created. I mean, no matter what you call it. Um, if you allow me to read this quote, yeah, I think that, I think that'll be a great insight to listeners in, in terms sure. of like answering your question best. So this is from Hunter Ginn, drummer for Canvas Solaris. He says, um, beginning of chapter twelve, death metal petered out by nineteen ninety three. It got so saturated, labels flooded the market with the same old stuff. But there was this weird offshoot of death metal bands that grew sick of playing death metal and started listening to other kinds of music. Instead of giving up on metal, they found a way to integrate those influences. And you wound up with atheist, cynic, believer, pestilence, stretching out from where they had been before, and Gorguts growing exponentially. It was a trend across the board in general, not just in death metal. 
there was this overall spirit of experimentation that happened with Coroner and Anna Cruzis and all sorts of bands. For me, 1993 represents this pastiche and dialogue between past and future. Ah, yeah, there you so, go. Like I said, cross-generational, yeah, it, past and future. So. It's, it's a great observation. It's very well put, and I just felt that it had to open that chapter. Sure. And it's almost like, uh, you know, from an extreme metal point of view, too, it's like the, in, in my sense, it's like that's the year that the torch kind of got passed from America and Canada towards Europe, really, in a sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking to, to Mark, who started uh, Requiem with Chris Dick, and, you know, that, that was a zine that I was really excited by because they were uh, sort of unearthing all these um, these bands that were happening at the time in Europe, like, you know, early at the gates, that was really different for the yeah. time. Opeth, same like thing. Opeth, you know, was uh, just another one of these really exciting European bands that were starting to do some really different things. So you're very right. The torch was kind of passed uh, uh, from territory to territory there. Yeah, and Chris and Mark were the ones, because I was, you know, younger than them in high school, but they were the ones, you know, we actually, my friends and I bought Requiem at a record store and I knew who Chris was, but I had no idea that he actually did that. And then right. I went into the record store, and it's like, oh, you're the guy. Oh, and it just, like, my world just started expanding. I was like, why are these guys writing about all this European stuff and from Mount Pleasant? You know, it was pretty mind-blowing. So and that, Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of mind-blowing stuff happening. And I remember um, getting that first, my job at Relapse in 94, and I was turned on to, like, all these bands that I really hadn't heard about, like Early Catatonia mm-hmm. and Separation, like The Cube. I was like, this is fascinating. Like, who knew all this was out there? But yeah. And this was, of course, pre-internet, so that, you know, the... If you, if you, that if you sense didn't, of discovery, uh, you know. If you didn't come over those zines, you know, come across those names and zines, then you know you had to do it some, some other way. But, well, you uh, were saying that in the book that you know, like, it, if it hadn't been for like Metal Forces, you know, like the the tape trading stuff in Metal Forces, like you wouldn't have gotten a hold of a lot of this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that was a total conduit to to you know stuff I wouldn't have ac- had access to otherwise. Now, I guess in terms of like coming back to that term progressive, like, you know, this is a question that, you know, people who are into progressive metal or progressive music in general always have to sort of defend. But I mean, what do you say to people who claim that the music's, you know, can sometimes be cold or pretentious or or unemotional or things like that? I mean, what's your, what's, having written this book, what's your best, I guess, short, you know, approach to to, to answering those people? Um, I would say that technicality is the emotion. All right. Like if you look at a band like Oblivion, uh, their Nemesis album, not, maybe not the best example because nobody knows that thing. That's that's quite obscure. But even like <laughs> athe- even atheists or cynics or you know bands like that, mm-hmm. um, you know the, the the coldness within that technicality is kind of the emotion. That's kind of the idea. Is it's it's, it's it, to me it always had lent a sort of sci-fi or robotic element mm-hmm. to it. Something that was kind of like um, otherworldly or. Uh, you know, non-human. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes um, a lot of sense. And, but I'm I'm talking about the tech metal bands now. If you're talking about some of the dream theater type of bands that are just playing and doing like you know uh, scales and runs and and uh, arpeggios endlessly, um, I do think that can get emotionless. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, for that strain of melodic metal, I'd rather hear the emotion come out because I, I love a lot of really good, especially European style, like you know, melodic metal. But um, once you start imitating Ingve endlessly or just kind of showing everybody how good of a player you are, you know, you're forgetting about the song. And I think songwriting is key no matter what kind of metal you're playing. Um, So... um, So I hope that's a... a No, that that makes sense. ...okay defense of of, of that. No, and it's it's something, you know, I mean, I've had to defend that as well, you know, to people before because it, 
it, it can be tough. You know, people hear complex music sometimes and they just think, why? You know, like, well, yeah, why, is, I, why does it have to be so damn challenging? You know, sure. I mean, like, if you think about, I don't know if you've heard Spastic Inc., but that band, that's uh, Ron Jarzombek from Watchtower. He, it's mm-hmm. his band. He, they've done two albums. Um, it's it's totally wacko um, stuff. It's it's very focused on playing, but that guy plays. You know, he he's inhuman in his talent. So I think I think it's um, sometimes kind of fun to listen to. Um, somebody do something on an instrument that you could never do or you could never imagine doing. And um, that's the whole idea. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's nothing wrong in playing, you know, there's nothing wrong in being a great player. I don't, I do not like uh, when somebody calls this music pretentious. Uh, that's also addressed in the book, you know, yeah. guys from dysrhythmia and Opeth are quoted uh, addressing I love, that. I love but, the comeback for that, by the way, you know, in the book that those guys give. You know. Yeah, totally. Because it's like, you know what, there's no, there, there is value in playing. And I, you know, just as there's value in, um, you know, great sloppy punk or sloppy death metal or whatever it might be, um, there's also value in, in playing. I don't think anybody should ever be ashamed of, like, uh, pushing themselves and even being self-indulgent. And man, indulge yourself. If you're a musician, go crazy. Indulge yourself. That's what you're doing it for, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I've just never bought that whole thing. To me, that's just like these snooty critics who probably write for Rolling Stone. I, I just I don't identify with it, sure. you know? Well, and I think what helped me, and I know Mark would probably agree, was was getting into like a lot of the the like '60s free jazz kind of stuff, and and Cecil Taylor, and and listening to people that were just so masterful with the instruments, but could kind of push it into so many different boundaries and almost create where most people would hear it as just pure noise. There's like a natural beauty that's kind of there in that, and that's some of the stuff that you hear in you know, like a, a Gorguts, uh, you know, um, obscure record, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's in the midst of all that, like anger and chaos and hatred that there's these really like pure emotions sort of happening. Yeah. Even like, I mean, we'll play a little bit later on the Despel Omega, which to the uninitiated, I think, I mean, a lot of this comes back to learning how to listen a little bit more intently than just the casual person, you know, flipping on the radio and wants to sing along with whatever might be on the radio at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like the Despel Omega, you throw that on, like, you know, for someone that's never heard anything like that, it's going to sound like radio static and mm-hmm. just like yeah. chaoticness. But uh, I think actually the, the biggest help for me personally was going and trying to figure out other forms of music, like figure out how to listen to jazz. Like, what do I key into on that? Is it the, the swing of the drums? Is it like trying to pick out that theme that's, you know, layered underneath all this horn noise or whatever? But, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I think well, a lot of it comes down to just the, the kind of learning to listen or listen more intently and more uh, purposefully. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think, like you were saying earlier, you know, you're sometimes you're just not ready for a certain album or, or subgenre or style or something because you're just not there with your listening. You yeah. know, Don Anderson from Agalock and Sculptured. I I had a beer with him in Seattle last year at some point, and we were talking about music, of course. And he said something. He was I think he was doing some teaching at the time. Um, some students, you know, he's teaching music, and he and he told me he would he would tell these students like, look, I don't, I, I never tell my students that I don't like something. I just tell them I don't know how to like it. Yep. It's like you know what I mean. You yeah, just don't right. have you know because you you, you never want to say that you just flat out hate something because you know in ten years you might prove yourself wrong That's because yep. you, you know your t- hopefully people's tastes change if you're if you're a really kind of true music lover you know hopefully you're you're constantly seeking new things out 
and that those new things will help you hear those older things in a different way sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, I'll I'll be the first to admit I was naive enough, you know, in high school to to make fun of like King Diamond singing, you know, because I didn't get it, and now I'm sure. unabashedly yeah. in oh, love absolutely. with King Diamond and his. Oh yeah, stuff, I mean, so. I you know, I've always liked King Diamond, but I I was like you, you know, in high school I'd make fun of certain things that um, that I love now. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. And I'm talking like, you know, I've got, I've gotten a taste for some very slick kind of pop stuff and I used to hate that shit. Yeah. And, no. and now, now I own three crowded house albums. I think that stuff's masterful because it's a songwriting thing. Um, because probably because my love for the Beatles has grown over the years. Yep. It's Same just, it, it's just about growing as a listener. And I think growing as a human and we all grow, you know, hopefully your listening reflects that as well, you know? And that's yeah. really what mean deviation is kind of about yeah. in a way. Two days ago, I listened yeah, to Yeah, that's uh, probably a good, a good, good capsule uh, description of it. So, yeah. well, bye guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because I, I, and I, I know you haven't listened to uh, probably a lot of the old episodes here and there, but I teach a rock and roll history class now to high schoolers. And, um, and it's, awesome. it's been really neat for me because it's forced me to confront and learn a lot of cool music. But then I also have to give the similar mantra to what, uh, Don was saying from Agalac and that I told some of the kids, you know, we'll listen to say like uh, Janis Joplin's performance at Monterey and some of the kids are like, that was horrible. It was like <laughs> shrieking. And then I have, I have girls in the front row who are crying. They're like, there's tears pouring on their face because they're like, that was the most like amazing, emotional, like gut-wrenching thing. And, yeah. and I kind of tell kids, I said, they're, they're just, sometimes you're not going to like everything that you hear in this class, but absorb it because you never know because somewhere down the road, that stuff is maybe going to make sense and click into place for you and you're going to have an aha moment. But if you right. build a wall and dismiss it, You'll never be available to have that emotional experience down the road, and, and mm-hmm. be and, and come to terms with some of the things that you've heard in the past. And so, I kind of like his his answer better than than even that one. You know that I'm yeah, but no, that's, that yours is a good answer as well. Yeah, like for sure. It, you know, so, but I don't know how to right. like it. Yeah, I don't know how to like this yet. You know, <laughs> I, I've often thought of that. Yeah, it's like you know now instead of saying oh that sucks, I'll just say I just don't know how to like it. Yeah, you yeah. Uh, yeah being a high school teacher, I get a lot of <clears throat> questions about music that I'm not always. Uh, ready to gravitate towards, you know, so that's maybe a, a better answer that comes off a little less pretentious than, you know, that sucks. Why are you listening to that kid? You know, so. Sure. Um, but I guess kind of bouncing back into the theme of where we're going with the music and stuff, you know, um, besides kind of the Florida death metal thing and the tech metal thing that we kind of alluded to, Mark and I kind of connected that there was almost a weird progressive extreme metal scene that was growing in, in Quebec and Montreal and along, you know, the back of Voivod, and then you know, on the piggyback of the band we're going to hear next, Gorguts, and then into Cryptopsy and some of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that DBC? Is that weird that that you know we're we're seeing that in one concentrated area that there was actually like a progressive extreme metal scene in you know Quebec, Montreal? Or? It, 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 it kind of is, but I think all it takes is one or maybe two um, pioneers to really show that you know not only can you be rewarded by playing this stuff, which you know who Voivod was. Mm. Um, but it just kind of—I don't know. I suppose you know, there's there's a sort of organic outgrowth, or maybe something a little incestuous there, uh, where you're all friends, you're seeing each other, and, and you know your influences are rubbing off on each other. Um, you know, so maybe one of the guys from Voivod passed a uh, uh, Vanagraph generator album over to one of the guys in Oblivion or something like this. Yeah. And they, you know, it, it. So it's yeah, it's it's, it's really is kind of interesting. Um, and uh, it, it does form a kind of pattern. And there was definitely a, a, a surge of something going on in Quebec there in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. I mean, you had, like you say, Gorguts, you had, had uh, Oblivion, you had BBC. Um, 
all these bands kind of had a had a voivodish sort of twist to them, you sure. know, and and it kind of kind of kept going. You know, you have Cryptopsy who are maybe not maybe not totally progressive, but definitely on the on the uh, more intellectual and technical and, and uh, performance oriented side. And yeah. Cataclysm, I think early Cataclysm anyway, sure. um, what was was all about that. So uh, yeah, it's in the water, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, something kind of odd. So, um, but I think it's, I think if you look at Boyd they were kind of like the catalyst for that. Whereas, like you know, in the Seattle scene in the late '80s, you had probably the first band being well, not the first band, but like uh, a, a big band that made a big leap was Soundgarden, and then you had a lot of bands that kind of followed suit, and sure. it just became organic. Like it just it grows organically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But it, it, it also lasts a short period of time. I mean, um, the Seattle thing died down. The, the Quebec thing died down. Uh, Stockholm yeah. died down. Yeah. What what died down? Stockholm. Yep. Stockholm. Yeah. And it, exactly. It, or, or it changes. You know, it, it, I shouldn't say it died down, but it, it changes. It morphs. So. Um, cool. Yeah. Right, interesting. I've, I've always, you know, to me, like, I've, if a new band comes out of Canada, or at least back in the '90s, it was like always very exciting because you kind of felt like you were going to get some level of quality there. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hey, let's let's get back into uh, the Canadian scene a little bit with some uh, Gore Guts. Uh, this is a song we actually listened, we actually heard back in the Canadian uh, metal podcast that we did, uh, "Condemned to Obscurity" from Erosion of Sanity from '93. And then we're going to sort of leapfrog a few years, and we'll have uh, Jeff fill us in on why uh, when we come back to, uh, to Ackercock with "Words That Go Unspoken" from the same record uh, from 2005. And then Hieronymus Bosch is broke from uh, Equivoke in 2008, so enjoy.
That was Hieronymus Bosch with Broke. Uh, Ekokoke, uh, I think, possibly, <laughs> the pronunciation, with words that go unspoken. And then we started with Gorgut's Condemned to Obscurity. So um, a little bit about, like, for instance, Hieronymus Bosch is a band like Mark and I aren't, aren't terribly, terribly familiar with. What, give They're, us a little... Uh, what are they, Russian band? They're Russian. Uh, they are no longer around, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. You know, I, you know, the book printed, and, like, I think they broke up a week later. Oh, jeez. <laughs> And Mike Portnoy left uh, Dream Theater a week after the book went to the press, too. So, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, it. Instantly dated. But, yeah, Hieronymus Bosch are just this band that, to me, you know, they're kind of like an honorary. We were just talking about the Quebec, Quebecois scene, um, you know, of, of the late 80s, early 90s. And Hieronymus Bosch are kind of an honorary band uh, of that ilk for me because they kind of seem to have that oblivion sound. There's a French band called Loud Blast who to me were more Quebecois than anything on that one album, Sublime Dementia. The only album that they were really kind of uh, you know, progressive. Um, So yeah, they just have that going on and they brought it into, you know, the modern metal. You know, they they did three albums of this really kind of technical and interesting death metal you know weird backward sounding riffs and stuff like that yeah so. and then the and then the Gorguts and, and Akercock, uh those are two bands that are still around today but kind of coming from totally different approaches I mean Akercock almost started off as like a black metal band and gravitated into this super technical death metal band you know yeah well not, not only, yeah not only super technical death metal but really like drawing from like you know when words that go unspoken came out I, that was a huge leap from the previous album yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Corona Zone or whatever yep. uh, they were throwing like stuff I heard like some Anacruzis in there and why did I hear Anacruzis in there because Anacruzis used to draw from like new wave uh-huh. um, so it was kind of like this chain that I started to hear you know and uh, I'm sure Akakaka or however the hell you want to say it um <laughs> Let's say it differently every time. <laughs> probably not influenced by Anna Cruz's, but certainly by, um, you know, New Wave. You start hearing New Wave in their music, and you start hearing, um, I hear, you know, there's elements of Dead Can Dance in their stuff. Yep. Um, so it's really, you know, they, they they really morphed into this really interesting thing that just sounds like nobody else. Uh, again, another hallmark of a, of a, of a true truly progressive metal band is that you're just you know somebody somebody can tell your music right away from like the first you know 30 seconds there's just no you know there's no real solid similarity to anybody else Mm -hmm. and i think they have that going on now and i think gorgut's the same as well you know erosion of sanity sort of opened them up to what the the sound that they were going to go with like by the time obscure came out in 98 you know sure obscure obscure is just such a weird album um that it really you know, it came out five years after Erosion. We heard something from Erosion. That was, like you say, that was just the beginning. But um, Condemned to Obscurity, you started to bring in all these, like, new instruments, and, like, the uh, doesn't uh, Luke LeMay play the piano at the beginning? There? Yeah, he's, he's, the, the piano track is, is him playing. and um, Yeah, so that was just obviously taking a great leap. Their first album was totally, and I mean this in the best way possible, but totally generic Florida death metal mm-hmm. wannabe stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was good and solid for what it was, but it, it was really nothing new. And then Erosion of Sandy came out, and you're like, oh, wow, these guys have been listening to classical music these guys have been listening to probably like music concrete or something because there was so much dissonance and so much chaos in what they were doing all of a sudden and very well played so super interesting band yeah and i guess the last question for us to close out part one of, of this little two-part thing is you know kind of after the watershed year of 93 which you know gorguts we just heard was was part of that thing um 
you know, you have bands like Opeth, Arcturus, Enslaved, Dillinger Escape Plan, Dysrhythmia, you know, kind of start flooding the scene in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then you mm-hmm. even have, like, in the mainstream sense, you know, bands like Dream Theater, Tool, Radiohead, even Mashuga to some extent are kind of entering mainstream acceptance. Like, I guess to close out this first part, I mean, what do you equate with this, I guess, mini Prague renaissance that sort of happens in the late 90s, early 2000s, not just in metal, but just kind of across the board? Was there a pattern you noticed in writing the book or things that, that you drew from? Or uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I'd, that's, that's a good question. I, I think one of the sort of reasons or catalysts for that was the Prague rock, which was really the first strain of you know, truly progressive rock music, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're talking about the, the, you know, the seventies stuff, either from England or Italy or whatever, mm-hmm. Germany, that stuff is kind of dead and more abundant in, in the nineties. So I think you had a lot of, um, bands, you know, that kind of inflamed the imagination, uh, in the nineties, they might've been heavier. Um, but they were kind of filling that void, uh, or, or, or at least appealing to a new audience the way that that old prog rock did to, people of that generation mm-hmm. um why it gains you know commercial acceptance or some degree of commercial acceptance um that's a, that's a good question i think i think you know it had been churning for a while in the 80s uh and the early 90s early to mid 90s and it had been so it'd been churning there for a while and then all of a sudden uh i think it was a matter of people catching up to it just the way the same way that you know lots of people have caught up to Voivod after the fact um i think people were just kind of ready like it you know certain uh certain bands had to sort of like you know um set set the ground you know lay the groundwork first um for other bands to leap off from and you know by the time these dillingers came up and these dysrhythmias and these tools and opeths and stuff uh you know people were just a little more open to that i I think i don't know I'm, i'm a really bad judge of like you know uh Cultural trends and stuff. Cultural yeah. trends. It's hard, and, yeah, trying to, trying to guess what might have happened. It's not, you know. Because I don't I think anything was like, it wasn't like a united scene in any kind of way. Definitely you know? not. Definitely not. And we're talking, you know, and if you look at, you know, if you're looking at the more melodic strain of prog metal, um, which we're not doing on these shows, but like, you know, that, that was that was quite big at the time as well. And there was, yeah, a, there was a very explosive with, scene with going some on. Of that sort of stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, so... So what? Yeah, it wasn't like a big unified thing. I just think that um, people's metal palettes were finally starting to expand and accept. Sure, absolutely. Okay, well, that's a it's a good way to sort of close us out here. Um, I guess introduce you know as brief as possible. You know, Despel Omega is I guess the first thing we're going to play that would fall into the progressive black metal category. But you know, why this song and 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 why why this record to sort of close things out with part one here. Well, it's it's the latest record that came out last year, and uh, it kind of continues on from where they started a few years ago. And I think what's fascinating about this band is not just the... I, I listen to this and I think, how can human beings possibly come up with this? It just sounds so inhuman, you know, um, and otherworldly. And I think it's also interesting to note that they started as a very, I think, very kind of boring, orthodox black metal band that really... Um, <laughs> they didn't show any clue that they, of, of how they were going to develop. So I, I think that that instantly makes them a progressive band. Yeah, and their evolution, especially over the last like couple EPs and albums in the last, say, five, six years, has been pretty pretty extraordinary. I know they were a band that weren't really on my radar until about five or six years ago when Mark kind of introduced them to me, and I was like, oh. Huh. Yeah, I picked up a, a French, EP at a French record store or something. I was like, it, just, it was something that I was totally filling a void that at the time, you know, just... 
black metal, black metal. What what can you possibly do with that right. with that genre? And this is just like blows yeah. the doors off. <laughs> it, the, you know? the next was, it, was it the Kinose EP or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. I, and I remember talking to my friend Hunter, the guy from Campus Solaris, about that. We were like, "When's when's that next black metal band going to come and blow us away?" It's been a while. Yeah. And then I think I got uh, Kinos the, the the you know two weeks later, and there was the answer. There, there I mean, was. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There was so. All right, so a perfect way to sort of end part one where we sort of were looking more at the extreme progressive side. So um, we're going to keep uh, Jeff in prison for a week uh, so we can record another episode that you'll, you'll hear, part two, where we kind of look more at the uh, bizarre side of things. But um, So, Jeff, thank you for, for part one. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll uh, you. you'll stick around for part two. Otherwise, I'll, we're, I'll, we're I'll s- stick around for a week in prison. We're yeah. screwed for part two otherwise. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Jill, uh, Jill Hundy, for uh, sponsoring this episode and once again we have uh the thursday and friday tickets for the maryland uh death fest uh available in a free contest so promote the show uh send us an email at recommendpodcast at gmail.com you know um leave us a review maybe promote it on itunes even you know uh give us a star rating star rating your blog review. if exactly. you if you peruse the forums like metal forums do some yeah. name dropping because when we do it it looks self-serving yeah exactly the decibel <laughs> forum is a, is a pretty active one that, uh, that i know of and i know some other ones too so but um yeah so do that for us and who knows maybe you'll be rewarded with uh, some free tickets uh to the we'll buy you a hot dog or some nachos at the show yeah if you find us <laughs> yeah there you go but uh all right so for uh despel omega's male comfort which is a great title when you really think about it uh anti-comfort um and from Paracletus from 2010 uh i'm jason and i'm mark and thanks jeff thank you Regenerate.